You are listening to episode 50 of the Comics Pals. We are a group of comic book journalists, and we proved it this weekend, and friends who record a <laughs> podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Listeners, so we've been at New York Comic Con this weekend, and do you know what they've been doing to us? They've literally taken the entire horde of people and been shoving them in a giant basement. <laughs> <sighs> A giant basement. A giant basement? A giant basement. It's muggy and disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they've been doing to us. What Phil's referring to is uh, we've been at New York Comic Con. I was about to say we are there. I feel like I'm there. uh, Trapped in said basement. (laughs) Um, It it really is hell because they're not bringing us pizza rolls while we're down there. uh, That would mean my death. But uh, in any of them, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, we 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 are back from New York Comic Con. For us, this is uh, day three. It's Saturday, so Saturday night. So we had a big day there. Uh, Artist Alley was moved. For those of you who are familiar with New York Comic Con, it's not where it used to be. Now it's in sort of like the basement area of the Javits Center. It's nice. They did it up really well, but uh, there is no air coming through at all. So you are. You are sweaty if you're down there. You are sweaty. Uh, you feel gross. You're thirsty. Uh, thankfully, they do have water there. Uh, it's four dollars and seventy-five cents. So if you're really, <laughs> if you're really yeah. thirsty and you're really rich, you can drink some water. We are making Comic Con sound so fun right now. <laughs> I know. Uh, we're gonna get into all the massive news that dropped from New York Comic Con so far. There's still a day left, and we'll cover that stuff on the next episode of the show. Uh, but for today, we're gonna be covering the big news from Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, from both Marvel and DC and some other places too. So stay tuned for that. Before we jump into all that stuff, I want to let you guys know all the wonderful places that you can find us. Uh, we are on iTunes, where we are a five star rated podcast. Uh, We are also on SoundCloud and all the rest of the podcast hosting platforms that exist. If we're not on your favorite podcast hosting platform for whatever reason, let us know and we'll get on there. Uh, We are also at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. There are tons of pictures up from our experience at the con, tons of cosplay, all that good stuff. So check that out Um, and uh, let us know what your favorite cosplay of the weekend is. We're happy to we're happy to find out about that. Um, you can write to us at comicspals at gmail.com. We respond to all mail, except when we don't. Uh, <laughs> and last but not least, YouTube. So the real reason why we're at New York Comic Con, other than the fact that we're nerds and we love it, is that we did a ton of interviews and all that stuff's gonna be rolling out. Um, if you're listening to this on Monday. There's probably stuff either out or on the way out, so stay tuned for that. That's the place to find all of our interviews. We've got a bunch of huge creators that we that we talk to, uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and again, you can subscribe to our channel so that you see all that content, like the videos as you watch them, including this one. Uh, leave us a comment, of course, and share it with your friends to let them know the kind of stuff that we are doing. So... I want to kick off the show with a random question of the week that is super New York Comic Con related, Uh, and it's a simple one. What is your favorite thing or the coolest thing that you saw so far at New York Comic Con? Wait, wait, wait. What segment of the show is this, Sean? The random question of the week! Oh, that's what the segment is. Oh, okay. (laughs) 
Now I know. Believe me, I'm sitting across from Pete. I know. I know. Well. Sean, to answer your question, my favorite moment of the weekend wasn't that. I, I wouldn't imagine so. Ooh. I honestly don't know. It's been a really good weekend. I think the highlight for me was probably uh, I got to interview Jerry Conway, which is an interview I'm sure we'll have going up uh, pretty soon. Um, and it was great. You know, it's like guys a living legend and he just could not have been more down to earth. And um, it was just a great conversation. You know, I was just really interested to talk to him. And uh, if everything goes according to plan, you guys might get to hear more from him. Awesome. Nice family, too. <laughs> um, I think my favorite part was um, getting to learn some like little uh, industry secret stuff. Um, like who's going where, who's uh, looking at new books, you know. Yeah, um, we learned some off-the-record information we can't share with you. Yeah. But that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that That's great. Uh, that That's great for our listeners who can't know <laughs> what mean. we know. Uh, great content for them to listen to. What about you, Phil? Uh, my favorite point of the weekend, uh, honestly, has been able to hang out with my friends. Aw. That's really the truth. Uh, I, I revel all the time to spend with loved ones. Cool. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you consider me a loved one. Also, you know, sleeping has been cool too. Uh, I, for me, my favorite moment. That's a tough question to answer. Uh, it's probably, probably talking to Scott Snyder. It was very short. It was very brief. But he's such a nice guy, uh, and. Um, just I just really I just I love every time that I get to see him. I've run into him a number of times over the years and uh he's always a pleasure. So thank you for being a nice guy, Scott. Yeah, no problem, Sean. Don't worry. <laughs> I have forgotten who you are. <laughs> uh thanks a lot. So we're gonna jump right into the news because there's a lot of it to go over. Uh and we're gonna start with Marvel because Marvel has had one hell of a weekend. That's why uh, I put it. <laughs> yeah, you talk about a company that just can't catch a break, and and quite frankly, just uh, consistently putting its foot in its mouth. Um, so one of the sort of first things that happened uh, that that came out of New York Comic Con was the news of uh, the retailers only panel that uh, Marvel did, and it was sort of the editors getting a one on one, well not one on one, but you know what I mean. Um, uh, unfiltered conversation with the retailers. So the retailers and the editors together. Uh, and at first, it was sort of what you would expect. Retailers haven't been happy with Marvel for some time. Uh, one of the big problems has been the lenticular variants for Legacy uh, being super problematic just because of how much they had to order in order to gain access to them. Um and uh, just a lot of retailers deciding not to even pick it up. Um, but then things got bad. Uh, so a, a particular retailer came up and was talking about how there have been a lot of problems with sales of Marvel titles because people come in and they expect to see the characters as they are in the films. And then he went on to say the following things. Um this is coming from an article at Newsarama, so I'm just going to quote here. Specifically uh, expressing his distaste for Iceman, quote-unquote, kissing other men, and Thor becoming a woman. 
The retailer's complaint sparked an outcry among the other retailers present in the room, some echoing his frustration with multiple attendees raising their voices to speak over each other. So that is pretty crappy, right? That's like a um, worst case scenario for a panel like that, you know? Yeah. And then Nick Lowe, who is uh, one of the executive editors at, editors at Marvel, uh, mentioned that characters like, you know, Sam Wilson and 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 all these different characters who, who took over these roles are ingrained in the history of Marvel and also that the changing of the identities is a part of Marvel. And he pointed out things like James Rhodes becoming Iron Man and Frog Thor. Um, the retailer that was up there talking responded and said the following. Marvel has never replaced them all at once before uh, and that Marvel Cinematic Universe fans come into the store to find Avengers comic books only to leave when they see that Thor is a woman and Captain America is a black man. So that sounds pretty bad. Uh, But it didn't end there. Because after this whole huge problem and, and huge outcry, they actually ended the panel early. And while they were out, while they were leaving... Uh, a bunch of retailers confronted David Gabriel, who's the senior VP of marketing at Marvel, and were just yelling at him and expressing their anger. So that's that's how Marvel's day started. That was on October 5th. So that's Thursday. That's how their con started. <laughs> oh my God. That's so fucking rough. It feels like... Uh, it feels like an episode of Parks and Recreation where they'd have a town hall meeting where every uh, single yeah. member of the town <laughs> would get up and yell at the government employee about <laughs> all kinds of shit. That's what I'm hearing from this. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, this is this is really, really unfortunate. Uh, and, and by the way, I do want to point out that it wasn't all of the retailers. There were retailers who were defending Marvel. Um, but it's yeah, like that one guy you quoted sounded like he was being pretty positive, right? The I mean, the initial person was just talking about the lenticular cover. No, the the guy who had said like, oh, like changing characters is a part of history. Was that somebody from Marvel? That's that's Nick Lowe, uh, the exec, one of the executive editors. Oh, okay, okay, my yeah. bad. <laughs> well, the people, some of the people in the audience that were defending Marvel, they were like, it was like Stan Lee and like regular <laughs> people's clothing. He's like, like, I like the way Mr. Alonzo thinks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's been a lot of conversation about how people who are fans of comics are not fans of diversity. And this argument that they're making, it's hard to parse out, well... <laughs> It's not hard to parse it out, but some people would argue that it is uh, the where the racism begins and the I'm just an old school fan and don't want change. Make Marvel is. great again. It's, those those th- those lines blur really easily when you've got someone talking about not not that Cap was replaced by Sam Wilson, that he was replaced with a black man. He didn't even name the character. Thor is a woman, not Jane Foster, just a woman, just any woman, you know? Um, so, what do, you, do you guys have any other thoughts about this? I mean, it's like, it's so, it seems so strange to me because I, I feel like these people obviously have a reason to be upset because they're buying a bunch of product that's not selling well. So they're frustrated for a good reason, but I, that... Their explanations just seems it seems so misplaced because like based on my own anecdotal evidence, like I 
did a, a thing in college, like for a journalism project where I interviewed like 15 different comic book store owners from different states and stuff like that. And like a lot of them seem to have the opinion that like movies like would help with a spike in sales, but didn't really like generally make lasting impact. So his like th- that the notion that like, oh, kids are coming or people are coming in to buy Avengers books how many years after Avengers came out and saying like, oh, they're finding this and not wanting it. Like, I I wonder how much that really happens, you know, and how much he's just making a fuss because he's pissed off about this, you know? Marco, is this a white people thing? (laughs) Um, I'm going to say, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think that like overall, it also falls into the problem that Marvel has in general, where it's just, they don't know when to not fill the market mm. you know in general and so that that kind of thinking already um, on top of the books that they have is just to push out like kind of events or to push out like these kind of like these kind of things that like new they, characters yeah that ultimately like the issue where they're just trying to push like these different covers and like there's backlash like all that sort of just like leads into that big problem that they just have in general yeah, and I guess, like, your point about the lenticular covers is, was just, like, fucking adding gasoline to the fire, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what is the validity of what he said? It's impossible to know, right? The argument of people are coming in looking for this, they don't see it. It's hard to say. Uh, we spoke Yeah, right, to, we don't own a comic book store. <laughs> right. Uh, we spoke to Chip Zdarsky today, and one of the things that he said was that... Um, that people who go into the store to buy Spider-Man comics don't necessarily understand Dan Slott's Spider-Man book, Amazing Spider-Man, simply because Slott has taken that character in a direction that doesn't jive with the movie version of the character. And so Zdarsky's Spider-Man is very deliberately a version of the character that is more palatable to people who don't read comics and are just coming in now with no knowledge of the comic book version of the character. So with that in mind, it's not crazy to me to believe that there are people who do come in, whether they're lapsed fans or people who just want to try comics out and don't get why characters are where they are. But that's where the retailer says, okay, cool. Well, if you'd like to know how they got here, here's this graphic novel that explains it. Or I can walk you through that, and this is how they got here, and this is where they're at now. There's plenty of room for retailers to do that portion of the job, not just complain to Marvel that Captain America is black now and their sales are dropping because of it. Yeah, I'd also argue that, like, in that in that case, if someone comes in and they want to see an Avengers that's representative of the film, or they want to see Captain America, who's Steve Rogers and is not a Nazi, like, go direct them to a, a hardcover book or a, a collection of you know, a, a, a run that's recent, you know, like, I feel like there's so many, there's so many other books that you can give them that star those characters that it's like, just steer them in that direction. You know, don't, don't try to get them to buy a single issue of a modern Marvel book, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and this is a, this is a story that's developing and we've, we've talked about the problems um, that Marvel's been having for a while, especially with the retailers. Uh, and that's a conversation that I'm sure we will unfortunately be forced to continue to have as we go forward. But Marvel didn't stop there. Their bad weekend did not stop there uh, because they they teased and then announced a partnership with Northrop Grumman on a, an all-ages comic book. Now, 
for those of you who are unfamiliar, Northrop Grumman is a defense contractor. So they build weapons of various kinds. We're talking Fifth about guns. largest arms manufacturer in the world. Uh, now, that doesn't sound so great, uh, especially in light of what happened in Vegas, uh, especially in light of where the world is and what people have been saying about Marvel's comics, uh, especially recently how they're tone deaf. Um, so this did not go over well with pretty much anybody, at least any commentator that I've read, and people immediately called into question what Marvel was doing here. Uh, so it's an all-ages book uh, that has recruitment advertisements in it for this defense contractor, and people weren't too happy. Now, of course, Marvel says that it was supposed to be uh, a combina- or a collaboration that's based around recruiting people and spreading awareness about aerospace. That reaction describes how everyone else felt about that excuse. Yeah, because it's not. I mean, like, come on, guys. Who thought this was a good idea? These are books that are marketed primarily. I mean, okay, not probably not primarily, right? But, like, comic books are supposed to be accessible to children. And, like, you should not be trying to advertise for a weapons manufacturer in fucking superhero books. That's ridiculous. Like... It's just, I don't, I don't know who, there should have been someone in their PR department who was like, guys, this is a fucking nightmare waiting to happen. No, it's, it's, it's terrible. This militarization of these characters, like Marvel already has this problem of, of militarizing their superheroes. Like the Avengers are a government contracted superhero team. Like there's all kinds of ethical issues there. I mean, this is the same company that makes things like the B2 Spirit, uh, which manufactures uh, bombs that are dropped over Kosovo throughout the Middle East and drone strikes and stuff. To have a company like that partnered with a entertainment company, there's, there's extreme... <laughs> there are so many conundrums with that. Especially this entertainment company, right? Like Marvel and Disney. Like, come the fuck on. Like fucking Perlmutter, man. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> well, let me, let, let me read you guys the sort of press release for this book. So, first of all, it's written by Fabian. Uh, I'm, I'm, I always butcher his last name how do you say this guy's last name i have no idea it's really hard <laughs> who are you talking about fabian um, Nasiza. Nis- that yes. thank you uh and sean chen so th- that's the creative team fabian's on the uh, writing duties and chen's on the art and uh this is the this is the press release when red ronin emerges from the hudson the avengers assemble to stop his destructive march toward new york city but when the mechanical behemoth proves to be a match with seriously upgraded technology, a call for assistance goes out to a new supergroup. Northrop Grumman's elite nexus is a team of scientists who specialize in cutting-edge, high-tech adventures. The new squad of heavy hitters, known as Engen, rushes in to assist the Avengers. But who could be behind Red Ronin's mysterious attack? That There's nothing wrong with how that sounds. The problem is in the timeline and in the delivery of this message. And there's actually a pretty good explanation for how something like this could happen. As it turns out, a lot of people at Marvel didn't even know this was happening. Because uh, the promotion itself 
came from the special projects wing of the company and they deal with sponsored publishing stuff and different things like that uh, that doesn't involve Marvel's editorial staffing. So things like Marvel's M&M comic books or different stuff like that that Marvel puts out that a lot of people don't even know exists. So um, Bleeding Cool has been one of the primary um, uh, sites talking about this issue. They reached out to Marvel, got feedback that there were people that didn't know what it was and were pissed about it, and then 12 hours later it was pulled. I got two great tweets I want to read. Because uh, as you can imagine, Twitter's been fucking awesome over this. Uh, I love I love Twitter when shit like this happens. This one's from Ice Level. Marvel. Our big thing right now is Infinity War. Northrop Grumman. Oh, us too. <laughs> uh, this one is from Jeff uh, Marshall. Hey, y'all, remember how Tony Stark stopped selling weapons because he realized he was contributing to global human misery? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Twitter's been good. Yeah, uh, and, and again, Marvel really has been taking a task here. People saying that they will refuse to buy Marvel books going forward. People saying that they're frustrated that something like this is being marketed towards children, which it absolutely is, undoubtedly. Um, and it's unfortunate that Marvel isn't uh, aligned enough to stop something like this from happening, or maybe at least putting it out at a different time with a different message and not releasing it during a period where everything is so cluttered anyway. With New York Comic Con, it's hard to get your message out, and there's so many other things that people are talking about. So this is obviously going to become a headline that people aren't even going to have the time to read the rest of the story. They're just going to see Marvel teams up with defense contractor to pander to children, and everyone's going to lose their minds. It makes sense why this would happen. That's unfortunate. Do you guys think this is Marvel's Britney Spears head shave moment? Like their meltdown. If it isn't, we're coming up on it hard and fast. You know, it's like it's been like every week we're just like, so Marvel had this controversy or this bad thing happened at Marvel. It's like the ship's got to fucking turn sooner or later. You know, the train's gonna crash into a train. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about Marvel's comics offerings from New York Comic Con 2017. Now. Unfortunately, they haven't had a lot of big things to say in general about comics. Um, one thing that they did announce is a Starboy comic series that's uh, coming from The Weeknd. So The Weeknd is... <laughs> that's fucking dope! <laughs> I'm a motherfucking Starboy. I was going to make a joke about that, and then you said it was actually that, and I... Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But wait, 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 wait. Do you know what? Like, a Starboy is a fuckboy. Well, uh, welcome to Marvel, Starboy. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking uh, awesome, though. <laughs> so he'd been teasing it for a few days. The weekend had been uh, before New York Comic Con. They finally revealed it. Uh, it's coming in 2018. Um who knows what it's really going to be, but we do have a couple of quotes from him. Uh, this is from The weekend. Starboy is the next chapter in this chronicle, this saga. Starboy is a character in The Weeknd's uh, music. I guess this is the fourth chapter. He's a character that we created. It's so funny. We want to create a comic out of him as well. He's a cool, dope character that makes appearances a lot on the album. So 
yeah, there you go. Uh, this I like is it. yeah, I like it too. Um, <laughs> I like I like <laughs> the idea of Marvel collaborating with various different artists for content like this. It'll bring more eyes to the books because Weekend has a ton. I mean, he's one of the most popular artists out right now, and there are people who would read this absolutely. So, I think that's good for Marvel. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it could be like a fun gag, you know? Gag? <laughs> I mean, like he he said that it was funny in the quote. Oh, I see what you mean, though. Like, I think it'll just be like a funny book, you know? Like, I, I can totally see that being something that plays to people, you know? I don't think there's anything wrong with something like that, you know? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another big announcement from Marvel this weekend at the next big thing Marvel Legacy panel uh, was that we're going to be getting a new crossover, uh, which is called Weapon H. So it's a series that's going to come out, and it's the Hulk-Wolverine hybrid character that sort of emerged from the Weapons of Mutant Destruction uh, crossover series. We don't have a creative team or anything like that. We just know that it's going to come out in March 2018, and we got an image. Uh what the fuck oh my god pete speaks for me <laughs> that is the craziest thing i've ever seen that's fucking terrifying just the implications of that i want to point out that the art is by mike deodato jr who is one of my all-time favorite artists and it, and it does look good in the sense of it's composed well uh the art is good yeah it's drawn well right but the actual image... The idea is just, what is the fuck? crazy. Like, what if... What if we put two of our characters together? No, no, show for a second, everyone. I have an idea. What if... What if... What if we take the Incredible Hulk... Wait, Phil, no! ...and smash no. him with the Wolverine? No, Phil! Your scientists were so concerned with could they that they never asked if they should! Or should they? Whatever, fuck! <laughs> kill it with fire! You can't kill it with fire! It's covered in adamantium! The hills? So... Uh, it already has a healing factor. What the fuck? This thing is so OP. This is one of those, hey, let's just throw stuff at the walls kind of things. And, you know, I'm sure that Marvel's trying their best. I'm sure that they want this to be a success. Are they trying their best, Sean? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, like, I, I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're not wanting people to buy it. I think they want people to buy it. I think they want to come up with ideas that... Uh, people are interested in and that they're excited about. The problem is that this kind of thing, maybe, I don't know. You know what? I shouldn't say this. Uh, maybe there is an audience for this. It looks hideous to me and you guys, but maybe there is an audience for this. People like mashups and Wolverine and the Hulk have huge audiences that I could see liking something like this on a short-term level. This whole Marvel segment on our show today Really should have like the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song playing over it on loop, basically, because it's all just like a gong show. <laughs> so, uh, moving along, uh, Marvel had a bunch of announcements to make regarding the X Men um, at their X Men panel. Uh, and they talked a little bit about characters who are 
are or have returned to the books. Uh, for those of you... Such as Black Bolt. No. Uh, for those of you who have read Marvel Legacy, if you haven't read it, you should probably not listen to this in the next 10 seconds of what I'm about to say. Uh, but Wolverine does return. The original Wolverine does return in Marvel Legacy one shot. Uh, so he's back in the fold. And so they talked a little bit about what we can expect from that. Um, just sort of what the interactions will be like with that character. Uh, the return of Jean Grey and the return of Professor X. Oh, um, cool. Yes. So right now, Astonishing X-Men has been being written by Charles Soule. And sort of his mandate with that book is to return uh, Xavier to the books. So that's that's pr- I think that's pretty cool. Um, and he talked about how we'll get to see Magneto's reaction to Xavier coming back. Um, and, and there were a couple of, of things that were mentioned that I thought were interesting. So Axel Alonso said that he not, not, he didn't say he promised that Jean Grey fans will cry when they read Phoenix Resurrection. I am a Jean Grey fan a little bit, as you guys might know. And just, I'm gonna just let like you a know, little bit, you know, the slightest. I'm I'm gonna let you know if I cry during this issue. Chances are that I will, but not because it's so good. So I'll let you know. We'll see. Um, there was some. There was a huge announcement actually of Old Man Hawkeye, which a lot of people have been buzzing about. Uh, it's a prequel to Old Man Logan, and uh, a lot of people are questioning why it exists. Um, what do you guys think about that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction. It's just kind of like, okay, I don't, I'm, no one needed that story. Is he going to fight Project H, the Hulk Wolverine hybrid? <laughs> It'll be the shortest fight in comic book history. I'm getting too old for this shit. And then he just gets decapitated. That guy has little swords coming out of his knuckles. <laughs> so Ethan Sachs is the writer on that book, and he talked about how it's going to take place five years before the events of Old Man Logan and focuses on Hawkeye's mission of revenge. Uh, He said that Old Man Hawkeye is very much the better call Saul to Old Man Logan's Breaking Bad. Those are huge words, Mr. Ethan Sachs. Better call Saul is phenomenal. And Old Man Hawkeye has a a lot to live up to. So hopefully you can get the job done. Man, I hope that's true, though, because like that would be great. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like, it, I could see that, though, right? Because it, it would be the same thing of, like, they're making a prequel to Breaking Bad about Saul? Really? Eh. And then it's better. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We, we'll, it remains to be seen. But so, so at you're least, saying it could be good? Could be good? It could be. It could, it could be. be. Um, it, it, it's, just, it's just interesting because now they seem to be putting more of a focus on the X-Men. Um, one character that they did say will not come back anytime soon that they have no plans for is Cyclops. So that's fucked up. I agree. I'm very uh, unhappy about that, but that's that's their play. They really uh, dra- yeah, dragged him through the mud, and now they're just gonna leave him dead. Yep, it's fucked up. Lots of people like that because Cyclops has a lot of detractors. Um, but he also has a lot of fans, including myself. So I, I am hopeful that one day, sooner rather than later, we'll get him back. Uh, now, we mentioned earlier that there was there was this Las Vegas shooting that was awful. 
Um, and in response to that, Marvel and Netflix mutually decided to pull a Punisher panel that they had planned for New York Comic Con on Friday. A panel that uh, a few of us were very excited to go to. And unfortunately, they did they did pull that. The bright side of that, though, and this is maybe the only bright side for Marvel, or, the, or I should say, not the only, the biggest bright side for Marvel of the entire weekend is that they had, uh, they replaced that Punisher panel with a Stan Lee documentary. So it's, it's, it's called Joe Quesada Presents My Chat with Stan Lee. Uh, and it actually took place tonight. Again, we are recording this on Saturday night. Um, and I, the, the, this, this happened already, but, uh, it happened very recently. So I don't have details on exactly what was said and what was discussed. Um, but it's, it's kind of described as the following. Um, it's an interview between Marvel's chief creative officer, Joe Quesada, and the comic publisher's iconic writer and creator, Stan Lee. The interview took place at the Pally Center this past April and was done in conjunction with the Hero Initiative, a nonprofit organization that helps comic book writers and artists in need. According to the, the description of the documentary provided by New York Comic Con organizers, Lee will field questions that he has rarely been asked and reveals never before heard stories and thoughts on some of the greatest moments in his personal life, professional career, and the history of Marvel. So that's pretty cool. I stole ideas from Steve Ditko. There, I said it. That's my bit, Phil. <laughs> that's my <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's great. I think that sounds like a really, I'm interested to watch that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that'll be quality content. Um, it's just like, obviously like to Phil's point earlier, it's, it's so, like, I totally get why they, why they made this decision. And I think it was probably the right one just for sensitivity's sake, but man, like they have had some like, a rough weekend here. Like, that was probably the one big thing they had that could have, like... Saved the day. Yeah, that really could have got some positive press. And, it, it, ah, oof. Like, better luck next year, Marvel. Yeah, it, it, it's really unfortunate for them. Uh, and, of course, that's just a timing issue, right? Like, Yeah, it's just, like, that's just, you You know, you can't plan around that shit. I'm sure this panel's been planned for, like, months. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and it looked like it was going to be cool. And then the other disappointing thing is that there's talks now of the Punisher show actually being pushed back altogether. Yeah, I know. Like they said, they wanted it out by the end of the year. But like I was kind of of the opinion that we were going to get the release date at New York. And the fact that they bumped the panel, like, when do you announce it now? You know, like. I mean, the, the Punisher is a, is a character and a concept. Um, not the most sensitive thing in light of the, the, the largest mass shooting in American history. So, I, mean, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think they probably hold it till 2018. I think that's probably the right call. You know, I think putting it out in this current atmosphere would definitely be a lightning rod. You know, like, even if you don't disagree, or even if you disagree that, you know, like, maybe there's, maybe you at home believe that there's no problem with the Punisher coming out now, that they shouldn't have canceled the panel. And if you do, please write in. We'd love to hear your thoughts. But I, I think it's kind of, like, impossible in my mind to criticize them for making this decision because, like, you know, they're just trying to do, like, what is best in the situation where, like, they don't want to think about the bottom line here and, like, try to do the thing that's sensitive. And, you know, like, this was... 
this was a major tragedy. And I don't think that, like, a, you know, edgy anti-hero that deals with his problems with guns is really necessarily the thing we need right now. Right. And the show will be just as good next year, you know? like Yeah. So, before we do move on to other things, I, I did want to quickly talk, talk about uh, the Marvel Legacy Avengers panel uh, that Marvel did have. Um and I, I just want to bring up a couple of things that they did announce and talk about. They talked about the uh, 16-part Avengers No Surrender story. Uh, so that's going to be a weekly book, which is pretty crazy. Um, it's four months of weekly Avengers comics. So Marvel heard that you like Avengers. Now they're going to give you all of the Avengers. Tom Brevoort had this to say about the uh, event. It's the biggest Avengers movie we could do on paper with an unlimited budget. Kind of the Avengers disassembled of the current era. Ugh. Why the groan? Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, it just, it just, it's like, <laughs> that just sounds like all sizzle, no steak. It's the biggest thing we could do. And it's like, okay, like. I don't know. I'm sorry. Just keep going. I don't mean to be negative. All right. Uh, I, I'm actually I'm actually excited for this. Um, I, I like the creative teams that they have. I mean, Al Ewing, I'm not the biggest fan of, but Mark Wade is really talented, um, and his Avengers stuff has been all right. Um, so it, it, it could end up being good. I like the direction they're going down with the Avengers. Him saying that it's the Avengers disassembled of the current era to me, is a positive thing simply because I like that event and I like the idea of shaking up the Avengers again. I think they need it right now because that entire line is kind of floundering. But moving along, Mark Wade and Chris Samney are going to be taking over Captain America. Mark Wade is doing this for the fourth time. This is his fourth run on the book. And Tom Brevoort <laughs> made a pretty funny joke, actually. He said, uh, Nick Spencer is done ruining Captain America for you all. And this series will be the cap people have been asking for. So, good news, I suppose, for those people who are frustrated with Nick Spencer's run. I am not, but it is over. And, you know, I'm excited to see what Mark Wade has to say with the character. Yeah, I mean, like, I will say uh, any, like, shade about Secret Empire aside, it's probably a good time for a back-to-basics Captain America book, you know? I feel like with where we're at politically right now in this country, like, we could probably use a little... Good old-fashioned red, white, and blue. It's also the natural course for, like, I don't believe that this announcement is in any way a reaction. I don't think they course-corrected. I think Oh, that, yeah, not at all. Yeah, I think that this is where the story was always going to go, and I think that it's appropriate that we all feel like we need it now because we're supposed to feel like we need it now after what Secret Empire just was. And then, it, and then it, like you mentioned... Uh, the political implications are really interesting just because of where the world is. We need Captain America. So um, they did talk about uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, so Sana Amanat was present and she had some stuff to say about the character. Um, she's a tough lady, but she's got a soft side to her. We're building towards a big story with Carol Danvers. That's exciting for me because I feel like Captain Marvel is a character that they've had more to say about big things to say about then they've actually done big things with her yeah i i definitely feel like um what was it i guess 2014 when gail simone did that book 
bit longer ago than that, I want to say, but uh, your point stands. Go well, on. Yeah, so it's a couple years ago at this point. And I remember, like, that was, like, this big major relaunch for the character. And she's going to be a big face at Marvel and everything. And then it's just kind of just, like, has, has there been anything since then that's had even close to that level of acclaim? Like, no. I mean, she's so pushed really hard. She was the face of the Civil War Two event. Oh, know? great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's the point, right? So, while she's pushed, the quality isn't necessarily there to reinforce the, the level of attention that she's getting. Which is unfortunate because, like, there was such a strong start for this new age of Carol Danvers, and, you know, the movie's late to the party, and there's been no comics to follow up on what Gail Simone laid down, so it's kind of like, where do we go from here? I feel like the recent Captain Marvel books have actually been pretty good. I enjoy them myself. Uh, the problem is that they're not must-read. And yeah, they're not like books that people are talking about. Yeah, you don't have to read them. And the biggest stage she's been on was Civil War II, like you guys mentioned, which uh, she was portrayed really poorly in that book. And I think that that actually kind of flattened her out. Yeah, I actually... um. I overheard you talking about it with uh, a friend of yours who we hooked up with today. Um, and you were saying that, like, she just felt like very, like, kind of, like, just her motivations didn't make any sense, right? That they were just kind of painting her in this corner of just, like, being really, like, bullheaded and not wanting to listen to anybody, right? Right, yeah. So, uh, briefly, everyone in the Marvel Universe at this point has dealt with time travel in some capacity, and uh, Ulysses is supposedly able to predict the future. Tony Stark says, well, that's just a potential future. It's not objectively the future. Time travel, timelines don't work that way. And Captain Marvel just doesn't seem to care that that's the truth. And which doesn't make any sense because of she's a, the fact that she's a cosmic character. And then on top of that, she's on the Ultimates and they deal with that kind of stuff all the time. So it really felt like Bendis just taking her and using her as a tool to tell the story he felt like telling rather than telling a story that made sense for that character. <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that used to not be Bendis's M.O. because we did a whole video about how that's exactly what he didn't do with Jessica Jones. <laughs> right. I, I guess that's it. Uh, the, other, the only other thing that I did want to point out was from the Q&A, uh, someone asked... Uh, the first person actually that got to the microphone asked Joe Casada about the uh, Northrop Grumman collaboration, and he had this to say. I'll be honest with you. I saw it for the first time as you guys. I think there were some messaging issues. It was really about the science and education. That's really unfortunate. That's really, really sad. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Marvel has a tendency to do things like this where they try to, you know, do all-age books for kids that are about education and different things like that. This is very much in that vein, but because of the messaging and it being so poor, it came across as, oh, Marvel's teaming up with a defense contractor to suck kids into the military, you know? I mean, that's still the impression I get, frankly. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't change it at all. Yeah, of, I, don't, I don't know that there's any way you can spin that one for me. <laughs> yeah, I that's don't know. That's the fucking company. <laughs> there's a world in which I buy it. It's just that... I feel like they they delivered this really badly. I think um, I think for me that tweet that Phil read is like just right on the nose of just like didn't isn't this isn't isn't Tony Stark's whole arc that this is bad? <laughs> but that's not what the story was about. The story was about these people who do work for Northrop Grumman, but who are 
scientists who are using technology helpfully, not even like weapons, just high tech yeah, stuff. Yeah, propaganda like that. for the company. Yeah, joined as fifth largest global defense organization that builds bombs and drones that bomb unilaterally without taking borders of countries into account. It's super fucked up. There's no way to spin it. Fair enough. I guess uh I guess um this just isn't something that could work in today's climate. And uh we'll leave it there on the Marvel side of things. It's unfortunate that they had such a poor showing at New York Comic Con, but there were some things I'm really excited about, so we'll see. We're gonna move on to something that I'm sure Pete will enjoy far more. Uh there was some <laughs> there was some big Walking Dead news. Uh, that we got this weekend. Uh, of course, they did their annual uh, Walking Dead panel. That's always really cool. Um, and so this year, they did have that panel again. And they didn't show a full episode from Season 8, but they showed a scene from the premiere, which is really cool. Um, I will briefly describe the scene to you guys. Um, so it opens, and this is coming from IGN. The scene opens during the day with Carl scouring an abandoned gas station in search of supplies. When he hears the voice of a man nearby, Carl draws his gun and slowly explores the area while the man proceeds to tell a creepy story about his mother teaching him manners. Uh, now, this is... Oh, actually, let me just continue with the description. Uh, Carl then gets down on the ground to look underneath the cars in the area and sees what appears to be the foot of a man. After rising to his feet, he approaches from around the corner with caution as the screen cuts to black just as he turns to face the man and sees his identity. Uh, so we don't know the identity of the person. I'm sure we'll figure that out in the first episode. Um, but the first episode of season eight is the 100th episode of The Walking Dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so there are going to be tons of different teasers and Easter eggs for those of us who've been watching the entire show all throughout. Um, and apparently this scene in question is a slight Easter egg and a throwback to a previous episode, but they didn't exactly say how. It, it reminds me of, of the season, gosh, was it season two or three debut where they're on the bridge and uh, Carl is stuck alone. And he's trying to avoid the walkers that are the horde of walkers that are coming their way. And I think he goes under a car to hide. Yeah, I think that? that was two. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what that reminded me of. But in any event. Um, yeah, I was I was really disappointed I couldn't get into that panel. Um, we, we were a little preoccupied getting some interviews instead. But, you know, which is obviously worth it. But uh, those are definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... This season on The Walking Dead is season eight, 100 episodes in. Fans are maybe going to get a treat, depending on your point of view. Because now The Walking Dead can use the F word. What word could they be referring to? Let's see. Frick. I think uh, it's friend. Fuck. Oh. They weren't allowed to use it before. Uh, I was forced to watch an episode of uh, American Horror Story on FX the other day, and they were saying fuck pretty liberally. Yeah, they they don't well because the whole thing with The Walking Dead is like I think that they I I watched some interviews um with uh you know some of the creative team and they were talking about how um you know the big hullabaloo about this was that like those of you who don't know is Negan is the uh, antagonist they introduced last season he's famous for using the F word very liberally 
and um the original scene where he you know lines everyone up and all that stuff he's like he must throw out 50 f-bombs you know and they talked about how they did the scene they did that scene that way and they said that they still felt it was powerful with all this like having to have the f-word censored but like they didn't really necessarily feel that it like was going to play for some people, so they decided against it. So it's been a thing that has been talked about a lot because of this character. Right. And uh, now they're allowed to use it twice during a season. So progress, maybe? Again, depends on your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good thing. I I personally think that censorship um, is kind of silly. Like, it, it always comes down to me for, like, the language of a show should be based on the audience, not where it's being published. Like, children shouldn't be watching The Walking Dead, period. So, if it's a show that we all agree is only intended for adults, why why does it matter if there's swear words, you know? It, it's just a thing that, like, it seems so antiquated to be so hung up on it, you know? It's not like I don't know what word they're saying when they bleep it out. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, you're right. I mean, if, if, if The Walking Dead is not for kids, then what is the censorship for? Who are they protecting? Certainly not me, because I just saw someone's head get chopped off, you know? Yeah, right, right. That's, that's the irony of it for me, is that, like, it's okay for me to watch a show where people are mutilated and shit like that, but I can't hear the word fuck like that's gonna you know oh my god my virgin ears you know it's like come on uh so during the panel uh robert kirkman made a special appearance well, that's and cool. yeah he supposed to be there he said that rick rick grimes the main character of the walking dead will not survive until the end of the comic book and i would imagine the show as well um, he said the following, no one is safe. Hopefully there have been points where you go, is this it? Is this where Rick dies? And he doesn't. One day the moment will come where you go, oh my God, yes, it is. It could happen at any time between now and 50 years from yeah, now. Yeah, that's, that's something that he's definitely said in the past. You know, and I think a lot of people have always kind of taken it as a joke because part of Kirkman's persona is definitely being like sarcastic, you know, and, and like, like, playing with fans in that way. Um, but this is a thing I've always taken as serious because in, um, if you're a reader of the walking dead in the, you know, the letters to the editor section, letter hacks, uh, he said as much before, you know, that he sees a future where Rick dies and Carl becomes the main character of the book, you know? Um, and I think that makes sense. You know, like Rick, the whole thing is that the world keeps moving forward. And like, if you've been reading, right, like, where the book is right now, Rick is in a, has changed a lot as a character in terms of what he's able to do and how he's used and, and just where he's at. So I feel like, yeah, like eventually he's got to have an end like everybody else, right? Like that's just the world. Like nobody lives forever. I also think for The Walking Dead to feel authentic, uh, not, not in the traditional comic book or really storytelling way in general of the main character is, you know, they have plot armor. Uh, in order for The Walking Dead to shed that totally, Rick would have to die. Yeah. And that's that's one way to spice up a, a book that's been around for a really long time. Yeah, and, like, granted, like, 
Rick definitely doesn't have plot armor in the comics. Like, there's plenty of things that it's like, yeah, I mean, he should be dead just as well as anybody else, but, like, he's been put through the fucking ringer physically, and, like, he's got the scars to prove it. You know, like, there have been a lot of moments like that where not only just that you think he's gonna die, but just, like, you know, like, this is a spoiler that I would say, I would think at this point, if you don't know it, come on. Um, you know, he gets his hand cut off pretty fucking early in the book, you know? And it's like, that was the thing that was very, like, wow, we're doing this in the main character? Okay. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that's the natural progression. And then probably the biggest Walking Dead news to come out of New York Comic Con is the announcement from Robert Kirkman that there will be a Walking Dead Fear the Walking Dead crossover. Uh, so it doesn't sound like this is going to be a huge crossover. I don't think it's going to be some epic, you know, like they all meet up or whatever. And right. Exactly. Uh, but it, but basically what's happening is that a character from one of the shows, uh, and he didn't specify which character that is, that is, uh, will make an appearance in the other show. And he didn't say which show is which? Yeah, exactly. Because that, that's what I'm, as soon as I heard this, I was just like, how are they going to pull this off just because of like the logistics of where they both are, like, they're on opposite sides of the country. Not only that, but Fear the Walking Dead takes place some time before The Walking Dead. Right. And so there's a question of is it is it a character going forward from Fear the Walking Dead into The Walking Dead or a character from The Walking Dead appearing in their early days in Fear the huh. Walking Dead? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's really – yeah. Wow. I actually was was sort of thinking that maybe it could be Negan. Maybe that could be how they tell his backstory. Oh, that would be so cool. Fuck. Yeah. Wow, that could be really interesting. Or even somebody like the governor. Sure. I would like, love to see him come back. Yeah, I mean, like, there's, like, um, several novels that talk about the governor's, like, adventures before Woodbury and everything. So I don't know. I haven't read them, so I don't really know if they explain where he's from and that, like, precludes that. But, I, yeah, I know that information isn't present for Negan. So, yeah, that could be great. Yeah. I really didn't think about that. I was really thinking, like, how are they going to have somebody from Fear show up in regular Walking Dead? But I guess it would make more sense for it to be the other way around, right? Because you'd want to have the star from regular Walking Dead on Fear to make people watch it. That makes sense to me. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be something that pops up uh, on this season, on season eight of, of The Walking Dead or on the current season of Fear the Walking Dead. Is that still airing, by the way, this season? Uh, I think it, yeah, it is still on right now, I believe. Um, yeah, so. Or, or it might have just wrapped up, actually. I think the season finale was maybe a few weeks ago. I'm like, I haven't watched this season. Um, I've been behind on that show for a bit. But, uh, I would imagine it's gotta be over now because regular Walking Dead comes back pretty soon. Right. So we don't know one way or the other, but obviously for those of you fans of The Walking Dead, we're gonna find out pretty soon when The Walking Dead returns to air. Uh, so a little bit more Robert Kirkman news, though not Walking Dead related. Uh, Robert Kirkman has announced a brand new comic book. Uh, yeah, so this is pretty cool. Um, it is called Oblivion Song, and it's coming out through Skybound and Image, of course. Why? Why would it come out through anybody else? Uh, and it's by Robert Kirkman and artist Lorenzo De Felici. That cover, so, though. 
yeah, the cover's awesome. It's a really good-looking book. Uh, and here's a couple quotes from Kirkman himself uh, talking to Entertainment Weekly. I wanted to do something that was apocalyptic in a sense, but also not. So I like to think that we're creating a new genre that's, like, apocalyptic adjacent. So, whatever that means. Uh, and then he also said, I hope that I'm breaking into new territory with this. I mean, it's not horror. It's not superhero. So it's definitely a version of science fiction. But I think it's a somewhat unique kind of science fiction story. So I'm very excited about that. Um, Pete, I'm, I'm definitely picking this up. Um, you know me. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to get into like Invincible. Um, Are you? <laughs> I mean, I have the book. But, but usually it takes like um, somebody's work to really like on something new usually yeah for you to go back but yeah exactly so like like if if this really like i mean i'm I'm interested in this it it gives me a chance to like explore uh robert kirkman you know that's like one of pete's favorite creators so like um getting the chance to like do that and then and then maybe like i have interest but it's like more like uh, no you uh, don't have to explain it because i get it right because it's like there it's the difference of like oh i could pick up this new book and follow this versus do i want to jump into a book that's been around for 14 years and has 130 issues yeah yeah i get it like totally that's like a commitment you know right and it's the same thing where it's like i didn't get into his stuff until i had seen a few episodes of the walking dead you know and i was like oh shit this is a comic cool like check it out yeah so yeah you've seen that gateway drug i mean this sounds cool you know it sounds like yeah that it sounds different and the fact that he like says that he like hopes that he's really trying to do something new and break into something different like that's exciting for me because i love kirkman you know he's probably my favorite writer um and i mean he definitely writes my favorite book right so but you know he's been so locked into the project he's been working on now for a while like even something like outcast has been going on for a while now you know so it's like it's it really exciting for him to do something new um that is like really like just a breath of fresh air for him as a creator you know i can't wait to see him like get to play around in a brand new world you know yeah absolutely and just to give you guys some context for what this is um this is from the entertainment weekly article uh he teamed up with Italian artist Lorenzo De Felici to envision a world where four square miles of Philadelphia swapped places with another dimension, trapping its inhabitants in a monstrous domain. For 10 years, a government-sanctioned organization has been trying to break into this dimension to bring back as many civilians as possible, but they've largely given up, except for Nathan Cole. When the comic begins, Nathan, an agent, an agent of an ex-organization, has been working with his home team, Bridget and Duncan, to do whatever he can to rescue those lost in the dimension, equipped with, with whatever artillery and gear he can scrape together. Some back on Earth believe this dimensional shift to be God's wrath against sinners, but for each person Nathan saves, he goes to the memorials to scratch their name off the wall of remembrance. Huh. Ninety-nine percent sure that's my actual wife in Philadelphia. <laughs> I was gonna say as soon as you said uh, four square miles of Philadelphia, Phil perked right the fuck up. Right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds cool, right? <laughs> Kirkman's a great writer. Uh, so DC definitely had a better time, uh, or has had a better time so far at New York Comic Con. Uh, they've had some pretty cool announcements and some pretty cool panels that have revealed some details. That we're going to dive into now. So they had the DC Metal New Age of Heroes panel. um, Obviously at New York Comic Con 2017. Uh, They had a bunch of huge creators there. Of course, Snyder and Capullo were there. Uh, You had Justin Jordan, Steve Orlando, 
uh, Robert Venditti, Joshua Williamson, all those guys, and many more. Dan Didio, of course, was there as well. They talked a lot about metal and what's going on with that. Um, to be honest, a lot of the metal stuff is stuff that we already know. That we already know. Um, nothing too surprising or shocking there. Uh, I was interested in some of the ancillary things that they did have to say. So Dan Didio talked about the fact that he's aware and that they are aware that we all have budgets. And that's why there will only ever be two comics per week that tie into metal. Uh, so that's that's kind Good of a policy. Nice, yeah. Um, also, they talked about the New Age of Heroes, which is kind of... Kind of something that they've already announced in the past, uh, but most people probably forgot about. It's the Dark Matter stuff, where they're introducing all those new characters to the DC line of books uh, with massive creative teams on them. Uh, we talked about that on the show a few months ago. Yeah, it's awesome. Right. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. We got we got some more detail about that stuff and about what those creative teams were looking to bring to those books. What I was fascinated by was uh, the following. So each issue of Immortal Men, which is one of those titles, will have a three-fold vertical cover from Jim Lee. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds so cool. He's known to love his fold-out covers, and now he's got three fold-out covers per issue. Speaking of how many covers each issue will have, each issue will have one cover. So each issue of the New Age of Heroes books will remain $2.99 for the lifetime of the series and only have one cover, no variants at all. What the fuck is up, DC? You're bread and my butter right now, right? You're answering, this is everything I asked for. It feels like the things DC has been saying has been, they're like little jabs at Marvel. They're like, yeah, we, we don't have any lenticulars for this. It's just one cover. And I love it. They're like, it will be, it will be the same price the entire history. Two ninety nine. We're staying there, guys. Well, DC has has gone a little nuts with their specialized covers of late, with the lenticular covers that they did for the button, uh, and the ones that they they're doing now with Dark Knight's metal, and then all the metal um, uh, spinoffs that they've done. All the Dark Multiverse Batman issues all have uh, special covers. But that's okay. I don't think special covers are bad. Where special covers become a problem is where you have to order 50 of the normal one to get the one that people really want, which is the special yeah. one. Yeah, it's like, I feel like it's fine if it's for, like, fucking Doomsday Clock, you know, or, like, your your annual event in metal. Like, those are, like, that's supposed to be the one big thing, right? Like, I feel like if you make an event out of lenticular covers, that's not a problem. But when it's, like, we've got... Or even, you know what I mean, like, not just lenticulars, but, like, having alternate covers, like, they're fun. But I think when you have it for every fucking issue, it's just, like, that's such a, it's just such a nightmare for, for distributors, you know? Like, they're not gonna move all that fucking unit. Like, they're just, people don't buy that many comics. And, like, from the perspective of, like, a collector, if you're, like, super neurotic about it, then it's just, like, you're just making people spend a bunch of money to buy the same book, like, six times. Or, or if you're like me, you just want the one real regular cover anyway. You know, like, I don't really care about alternate covers, like, unless it's really special. And that's, like, more to get the cover as, like, a piece, you know, than it is to, like, have it for, like, a collector's item or whatever. Yeah, and DC appears to agree with you on that front, at least as it relates to the New Age of Heroes books. 
I feel like that's a really good policy just for those books anyway, because it's like there weren't alternate covers for fucking Superman number one or Wonder Woman number one or Batman number one or, you know, it's like just fucking let's keep this back to basics and just like get these characters off the ground. You don't remember the uh, lenticular cover for 1938 uh, Action Comics number one? <laughs> oh, it's a classic, actually. It was a it was a lenticular three fold out. <laughs> They also announced the Flash-centric, uh, it's not an event, it's just a storyline that's taking place in the Flash called Flash War. Uh, we didn't really get a ton of details about Flash War and what it is, but uh, Joshua Williamson, who was president and is the writer of Flash, uh, had the following to say. Let's see who's the best Flash. Is it Barry or is it Wally? And then he kind of had like the fans vote as far as you know the people in the room raising their hands or shouting or whatever it was. Um, as to which Flash they like more. Um, and it was actually pretty dead even, which is cool. Uh, but Williamson went on to say, It's me and Howard Porter starting in Flash number 46. In January, we have an annual coming out that's a prelude to Flash War. But starting in 46, we do go into Flash War. So they did release a, a one teaser image for that. And I guess we'll hear more a little down the road. The big news that Phil and I are going to go crazy over is that Dan Didio tease that Grant Morrison will have some kind of involvement in the New Age of Heroes books, uh, potentially a Seven Soldiers of Victory series, maybe a return to that. Uh, Didio said the following, Grant Morrison is coming in to help because we're going into the Dark Multiverse, and I can't imagine anybody better to help us in the Dark Multiverse than Grant. Yeah, that's his thing, right? He likes to navigate through the real... Real weird and unnatural. <laughs> the avant-garde. The paranormal. I'll, all I really have to say about this is, I think that is the best way you could describe it, is that I don't know who could help us navigate this. <laughs> grand, but yeah, you're definitely right. Like, <laughs> If I was ever in a scenario where I had to be navigating through like a dark, hellish underworld, it's like, alright, Grant, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> So, moving along to more good news for DC, uh, they released an announcement at the DC Jim Lee uh, uh, Dan Didio panel that Earth M is going to be a thing. What is Earth M? Uh, it's DC's Milestone revival. So, they're bringing back Milestone as an imprint under DC. And they've got four titles announced, including Static Shock, which everyone has been asking for. It just clicked for me. I was about to be like, what is Milestone? I am not a DC boy. And then I was like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, no, I read about this. I am so excited about this, man. Yeah, this is really, really cool. Big fan of Static Shock as a kid. That show was the shit. And like, I've always, I've always been like so vocal about like, Whatever happened to him? Like, there was so much fanfare around that character after that show, and then it was just like, oh, I know there's all these legal issues and everything, um, but I didn't at the time, obviously, and it was just like, that's the, like, that's the, you know, young, original, black superhero that, like, we need. And we had him, and he disappeared. <laughs> I think now's a great time for this book, and for the rest of the books that they've got going on, they, they did talk about... Uh, some of the books that they're going to be doing, um, including a book called Milestone. Uh, it'll be the launch book for the series, and it's going to be written by Reginald Hudlin, and Ken Lashley will do the art on that. 
Um, Lashley's known for Black Panther. Reginald Hudlin, also I Black Panther. Yeah, he did some Black Panther stuff too. So, I just I just added some questions. I don't know if the article I, I, um, answers these, but are, are, are any of the original like guys coming back, or is it like all new creators? Uh, that's a great question. Um, From what Milestone Comics or for Static Shock? Either or. I don't think so. I think these are all not new. Like they're new to the Milestone books. I think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Um, Greg Pak is actually writing a series here. That's a big surprise. The series called Duo. Um, the Static Shock series is going to be from Reginald Hudlin and Kyle Baker. Uh, so that's going to focus on a 14-year-old virgin of Virgil Hawkins, who is Static Shock. Um, so that's really cool. Is all, this is all this stuff set in the DCU? Uh, no, it's its own imprint. So sort of like how Young Animal is its own thing. That's all right. I'm into that. Huh. I thought Greg Park was trying, uh, signed exclusively to Marvel now. I thought he was too, so I don't understand this. Uh, so Scott Snyder revealed that he knows what his last Batman story will be. And soon we will too. Uh, because the project is going to be called Batman Last Night. And it's the often teased but little pleased uh, co- collaboration with Sean Murphy on Batman. So those two have worked together before on stuff like American Vampire. Now they're going to work on uh, this title, Batman Last Night. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny because uh, Grant Morrison once gave Scott Snyder advice about giving superheroes a birth and a death. And it very much feels like Snyder is doing that with Batman, with Last Night. And uh, he said, this isn't exactly a death, but it is very much, um, the cl- he said the following, this is a closing a chapter in my version of Batman. So we don't have any knowledge about what this is going to be, really, other than a few little tidbits. Um, and th- again, this is from Snyder. Batman suddenly wakes up and he's young. But he wakes up in this post-apocalyptic wasteland, crawling out of the sand in this Gotham city that's been ruined. He's got the Joker's head chained to his belt, but he's al- but it's alive, and it's like, you gotta move, kid. It's got old Wonder Woman, baby Superman, it's like my lone wolf and cub Batman story. What the fuck? That sounds so weird and cool. Uh, It, it kind of sounds like where it's like, he wakes up young again, so in a way, in the way that Morrison's Batman... Uh, and it run ended in, in Batman Inc. where it's like it's a never ending cycle. And it's like yeah, I guess Scott's doing more Grant stuff again, right? <laughs> exactly. So uh, to me, that's really exciting. Uh, I I love Scott, but I'm I'm anxious to see what he has to say in DC beyond Batman. Yeah, it, it, like that's probably good, right? It's probably good for him to move on from the character, but it's really cool that he's kind of like getting one final send-off to just, like, put a period on that sentence, you know? I, I wonder what would be next for Scott Snyder. He, um, obviously he's very famous for his Batman run. He had his brief run on Swamp Thing. He did Superman Unchained. Uh, outside of that, that's the only stuff I can think of in his DC work. I wonder where he would go from here. Yeah. Um... I don't know, honestly. Maybe Hawkman? I think he has a, a partial... I think he's partial toward that character. It'll be interesting to see where he goes, for sure. I would love for him to do something like that. Like, some... Like, a B-list, C-list Justice League or, like, like Hawkman or just somebody who's, like, not super relevant. 
and like really get to do like a definitive kind of run on the character. Like that could be really cool. Yeah. Like he's the writer to do something like that. Honestly, I think that would really, I think that would really test his his merit as a writer in my eyes. Yeah, um, I've been kind of critical of Scott Snyder since since he uh, became the big fish at, at DC. Uh, but for him to work on a, a C-list character and to make it, you know, hyper-relevant like Tom King with like Vision or Morrison on Animal Man or whomever, uh, I think that would speak very, uh, it would speak volumes for his ability as a writer. Yeah, I, I totally agree. DC totally has a great stable for him to work with there, so it's really just a matter of like what he's interested in at this point. I hope it's something that's like totally different from Batman. Yeah. You know, I hope it's something that's not like grimdark or whatever. Um, not that Batman's always grimdark, but you know what I mean. Just like something that's like a little bit more not post-apocalyptic. Just like I want, I want him to do something a little more like you know, a different flavor. Yeah, exactly. Just more conventional, upbeat superhero thing, maybe that's that could be cool for him. You know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, there, it'll be exciting to see what he does next. Yeah. Um. So. Before we dive into the obvious, which is the fact that DC talked about uh, what's going on with Doomsday Clock, uh, I want to go into some of our experiences at the convention. Just a little bit, just a tease. We'll talk more about it next week um, when we are done with the convention, but I'd like to kind of recap some of the stuff that we did. Uh, And I want to start with um, Pete. You took in a couple of panels, didn't you? Um, I only actually ended up making it to one, unfortunately. Uh, I had originally planned to go to a number of panels, but um, some travel things and then uh, and then interviews ended up taking precedence. But I did end up making it to the Hey Arnold uh, panel, which was really cool. It was a real treat, man. Uh, they had um, the creator, I think it's Craig Bartlett. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm that's oh, right, right? Yeah. Sure that's right. Um, and then, uh, the original voice of Arnold, the original voice of Helga, um, and then Rhonda and Phoebe as well. And, uh, it was both like a kind of like celebration 25th anniversary kind of thing, as well as them, uh, talking about the new movie that's coming back, which is the, uh, the Harold Jungle movie, which if you're a fan of Harold, there's a probably a pretty good chance you've heard of that. Been in Lumbo for 15 years. For 15 years, yeah. It was, uh, a sequel, or not a sequel, I guess. It was the last episode of the show presents a cliffhanger in which um, Arnold is presented with information that he's supposed to be able to go and find his long lost parents. We're like documentarians that get lost in the Amazon or some shit. And um, this movie's finally happening now because we live in an era of bringing shit back from the dead. So uh, they finally got their chance. I got to see the, the trailer, which uh, they debuted. They talked about the release date for the first time. It's coming out the day after um, Thanksgiving. And uh, so it's right around the corner. And it, it looks great. I mean, the animation is beautiful. And, uh, you know, obviously it's been a long time since the show ended so they made the jump to 1080 and high def and uh it's a it it has a slightly different feel because you can tell that it's really benefiting from the technology there but uh you know it still has that look to it uh like i said a lot of the original voice cast does return um they have a new kid doing arnold's voice because they recasted him two times five times five times yeah because um kids just kept aging out of the role and um the original voice actor of arnold is actually playing a new character uh, so, and, you know, I got to hear the new kids, and the new kids sound exactly like the old kids, 
and all the adults that are capable of reprising their roles came back. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it picks up basically where the series left off. It's like supposed to be a year later, I think. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And they said that the plan is kind of like, they're going to put this out there. And if it's great and that's the end of it, great, we got closure. But if it really resonates with like the new younger audience, they said that they're thinking about the idea of maybe bringing it back and doing a new season where um, they're in the sixth grade instead. Uh, and it's a lot of new people who are kind of like our age who grew up on the show and are now bringing, um, you know, their voice to it as well. But then there's a lot of the old guard have come back as well creatively. So uh, definitely a treat if you're, if you're a fan of, uh, of Hey Arnold. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. Move it, football head. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. Um, I was always kind of like not a fan of Hey Arnold, but I caught it occasionally and it was all right. But I know it has. That was like a that was a core show for me growing up. You know, I, I definitely uh, resonated a lot with Arnold, just average tri- kid trying to do right. Phil had the opportunity to go to the Happy panel. Happy is a comic book by Grant Morrison that is getting a an adaptation on Sci-Fi, and so you got to check some stuff out there. What did you see? It was a really cool panel. Um, so they let it off by. Uh, showing the uh, the audience the very first episode of Happy, and the sh- and the show is not done filming its ten episodes yet. They 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 have three weeks to finish the last two episodes of the season. That's insane. <laughs> they must be so stressed out. Yeah, yeah. Well, the some of the producers were there, and they were talking about how they didn't get to bed till three a.m. last night because they were filming Jeez. last night. <laughs> um. But the episode itself was really it was it was enjoyable. Um, there's a it's very dark, it's very Grant Morrison-y, uh, and it's very stylish. Um, there's this, for instance, there's a scene, and this is in the book as well, where um, the Santa Claus figure uh, is abducting children. Um, so the scene that they show in the show is a bunch of missing children posters on like telephone poles. And then it trans the scene transitions to those posters being on the boxes that you presume the kids to be inside of, and oh. then the posters disappear. And that's how the audience knows that those missing children are in those boxes. Whoa. It was a really That's a that like you just describing that is a powerful moment, so I can only imagine how it played out. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, what the fuck is up? Like, sci-fi is really up in their game. <laughs> with like, pro- like we were just talking the other day about how the Russo brothers are directing uh, that new show for them. I don't oh, remember what it oh, was, but it's like, what the fuck? Like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> they used to just be a network of joke TV. Do you remember show? What was it? Deadly class. Deadly class. Deadly class. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So the show stars Christopher Maloney. And has uh, Patton Oswalt as Happy. For those of you who don't know, what? Happy is the uh, imagine. So one of the girls who gets kidnapped has an imaginary friend who's an ugly donkey with a heart of gold named Happy. And he goes to Christopher Maloney's character. Is like, we need to save this little girl. She's my best friend. But um, Christopher Maloney plays a an ex cop who um, gets kicked off the force and has a whole bunch of problems. He's kind of deranged. Um, he's great, I and mean, he's a tremendous actor as it is. Um, and it, it was really a saw. I um, I'm not a TV guy, um, but I thought it, I I was impressed 
by especially the cinematography and the acting. Some of the dialogue was a little trite, but um, I enjoyed it. Afterwards, there was a panel. Uh, I got to talk. I got to uh, ask Grant Morrison a question, and I asked him because. Uh, for those of you who know Grant, he's been trying to have any of his properties adop- uh, adapted for uh, like seven years, eight years. Happy itself has been in production hell since 2012. Um, and in the documentary Talking with Gods, which is about Grant Morrison, he's talking about the power of chaos sigil, chaos sigil magic. And you see him like, I want to be in television. And I was like, what? how much magic do you have? <laughs> How much magic did he have to conjure to make this into reality? And he says, not that much at all. I just have to talk to Brian, who's one of the producers. And <laughs> frankly, we just everything kind of fell in line because I really believe that positive thought and positive thinking uh, leads to creating your own reality. Uh, that was a really weird um, thing that just happened for me because I heard the voice of Grant Morrison, and then it turned into the voice of Phil. We're not, we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> I might actually be an avatar of his. I might be a Horcrux. Oh Jesus! Not at all. But um, all in all, um, it was good. And you should, uh, for those of you who haven't read it, it's four issues. It's really good. Um, and I think the show comes out in like two months. So to be able to nice. check out the pilot so soon was a, it was a treat. That is really cool, man. Chris Morlani was really cool too, for what it's worth. And. There were a lot of people there were just like dick sucking the shit out of him. They were like, oh my god, Chris Romilone, I loved you in Oz. I loved you in SVU. I loved you in Wet Hot American Summer. And I'm like, oh god. Grant, I loved you so much and everything you do. So in other words, I was just as bad. (laughs) That last one was actually just Phil. (laughs) But um, yeah, that was my experience at the Happy Panel. I'm very uh, envious of the experience that you got to have. I think that's really cool. Uh, you got to meet Grant before me. And for that, uh, tomorrow will be your last day on Earth. Yeah, check out my Instagram. I posted a picture. It was pretty close. He was dressed in the nines. As per usual. Uh, and so for me, I got to check out the Doomsday Clock panel. Uh, that was... An incredible, incredible experience uh, hosted by uh, Jeff Johns. I mean, it was Jeff Johns, um, you know, kind of just talking about the book and about what Doomsday Clock actually is. And we got a ton of detail about the book. Uh, In fact, we actually got something super, super cool, which was that uh, he actually revealed the first six pages of the book. Um he started off by walking us through what the what was in the pages without the uh, narration boxes included. And so it was really cool to hear Jeff talk about the intent rather than just letting us read the words, you know, kind of what he was trying to convey versus just what the words were. Uh, and hearing a master of the craft talk about that was awesome and I could have done that all day I could have sat in a panel room listening to Jeff Johns just talk about the intent behind everything he's ever done you know um, oh yeah but he did it for the six that inside baseball talk is really exciting yeah he did it for the six pages and uh, it was nothing short of brilliant um, I mean I, I was gonna say maybe we shouldn't do spoilers but to be honest the news is is absolutely everywhere 
as far as what this reveals. I say we do it, man. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So uh, there, there are a few key things in this book, and um, I'll go into them, and we'll talk about it. So essentially what's revealed is that the uh, first issue, at least the, the pages that were revealed to us, uh, do take place on November 22nd or 23rd, because the narrator is unreliable, uh, of 1992. And so that's a pretty, that's a pretty important uh, period of time for DC, uh, because that's when Superman died. That's that's when the first issue of Death of Superman came out. <laughs> oh shit, Jeff! Don't scare me like that, Jeff. That's awesome. Go on, keep please go on. <laughs> uh, so immediately that strikes you, and he talked about that. He didn't. He didn't say why that date was significant, uh, but those of us in the crowd kind of figured it out pretty quickly. Um, so that was a cool sort of shared moment to have with the audience. Um, but he went on to talk about what what the state of this world is at this time. Because if you think about it, this is like eight years after Watchmen. And Watchmen ends with a piece that Ozymandias sort of brokered through trickery and lies. Um, and in this book, that piece has fallen apart. Because someone got their hands on Rorschach's uh, journal. And if you recall, at the end of Watchmen, he actually, uh, uh, someone from a right-wing conservative um, publication had it. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, But so we don't know if that person published something or how it got to this point. But someone published something. And what adrian was trying to do didn't work basically and so now he's being held to task and he's responsible for three million deaths he's wanted by everyone on the planet for those deaths uh and he's being chased and the book kind of talks about that um and it's sort of told the story sort of told for these pages through the newscasts which again all this stuff in this book is very very reminiscent of uh the original watchman a lot of nine panel grids, uh, stuff like that. Tons of allusions to the book. If you are familiar with it, you're going to feel right at home here. Um, and uh, I, w- I guess I won't take you through too much more of sort of uh, what's happening. Uh, other than to say that the world is in absolute chaos. Russia's at war with this one. The United States is at war with Russia. Um, uh, the, the news stations have been taken over by the government. And so now there's only one news station, National News Network, uh, and they immediately begin reporting about the war with Russia and everything like that. Um, And the narrator says that we need God back, essentially, that maybe we need to bring God back. And it sounds like he's referring to Dr. Manhattan, Uh, because while Dr. Manhattan was still around, you had, you know, quote unquote, peace because he was a nuclear deterrent in the sense that no one was going to start anything while he still existed because of how powerful he was. But now that he's gone, everyone's brazen again and he hasn't been seen in eight years. So what's the worry? Uh, and so in the end of the book, and then we'll talk about it. Um, there's a riot happening at a uh, precinct 
and a police officer gets grabbed by a prisoner and the prisoner is trying to get to the keys and he knocks out the um the, the police officer is knocked out by someone off panel that person picks up the keys asks and then asks if the prisoner wants the keys back uh the prisoner says and i quote oh shit uh and then on the next page it's revealed to be rorschach uh rorschach is back and then the awesome part is uh <laughs> rorschach says you still want out the prisoner says no no way man i'm cool and rorschach walks away <laughs> that fucking moment is so epic i uh when you you came out of the panel and we reconnected and you showed us that i literally screamed out loud i was like oh like this is it's cool man it's really cool and like you said, like the nine panel re- layouts and everything, it, it feels like Watchmeny. And uh, I, dude, I mean, I'm sorry to eat crow on this, you know. Oh, it's not gonna hurt ourselves. I'm, I'm not. I'm saying I'm ready to eat crow. Like I'm, you know, like I, I was very vocally down on this idea. We did an entire episode, uh, you know, a segment where I talked about why I don't think they should ever do a sequel to the Watchmen. Why I don't want this, but it looks good, and I'm, I'm actually kind of excited for it. So. That's that's significant, you know. Like looking at these, you know, just getting getting to poke through this a little bit and hear Jeff talk about it more and more has definitely got me. At least at the point where I don't, I'm I'm not I'm not at that place I was right where I'm like I don't ever want this, you know. Like maybe this is something I want, you know. Maybe he's the guy to show me why there is a reason to go back. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yep. I I played the I'm a superhero guy like I'm I'm excited for this like this is cool. Rorschach's journal. Pete and Marco look up at me and beg, "Don't make me crow." I look down and whisper, <laughs> "No." <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a detailed nine panel grid layout of Rorschach shoving crows down our throats until we die. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so you know Jeff had a lot of things to say at the panel he talked about the fact that there is no other artist for this book uh other than gary frank that it was the idea was pitched to him that they could have other artists do the role if gary didn't want to do it and jeff said without gary you don't get me so get him uh and they got him and the main reason why he's on this book is because he believes in it and because Jeff believes in it. And Jeff believes that there's a story here that's real. And if you're listening to this by now, you already know the backstory of how they came to decide that they want to do this. Uh, so I'm not going to get into all that. You guys know that stuff. But um, it's clear that there's a story here that's important enough for Jeff to tell that he's willing to put it all on the line. And that's cool. Um, it's cool that he recognizes the moment that they're in. And that because of that, he said these words. He said, I don't see this as an event. This is not an event. Uh, he said, there won't be any crossovers. There won't be any tie-ins at all. No one will will touch Dr. Manhattan other than him. This is it. This is Mention it. Mention the other thing that you told us, man, about Superman and Dr. Manhattan. Oh, um, so I, if I if I know what you're referring to, then if I'm wrong, correct me. But I believe you're saying you're referring to the fact that uh, Superman is sort of he's he's an alien, right? Is that am I, am I on the track that you were wanting me to be on, Phil? Nope. I'm curious about what you're going to say. Okay. 
Uh, well, Superman is an alien often seen as a godlike figure by humanity who has become so far removed from that that he's a human, basically. Uh, and, and in terms of the way I guess he sees himself, at, at the very least, um, but his humanity is very much intact. And Dr. Manhattan is a human being who's become so alienated from humanity and has gained such godlike powers that he now is an alien and a god. So that interesting sort of dichotomy and parallel there is something that Jeff saw as a huge door opener for this story. That's super reminiscent uh, to the Star Trek Next Generation episode where Data meets Spock. And he remarks saying, you're half human, but you spent your whole life trying to like lose your humanity. I'm a robot. I'm a machine, and I've spent my entire life trying to discover my humanity. But, uh, no, I was talking about the action sequences with Manhattan and Superman. Right, okay. Uh, Jeff said that he doesn't want, uh, he doesn't want there to be any scenes of just Superman and Dr. Manhattan Manhattan punching each other that Gary Frank specifically told him, I have no interest in drawing that. I have no interest in drawing, uh, Dr. Manhattan getting punched, you know, that's not what I'm here to do, so... What? Yeah, or like Batman fighting Rorschach and shit like that. Well, the, well, that we might actually okay. see. Um, oh, you think? Yeah, <laughs> that might, that yeah might, maybe, maybe that might be okay if they do something. Like that. I, I'm actually pretty sure that we're going to see Batman fight uh, Ozzy Mendez, but that well, oh, yeah. that's because Ozzy has it coming. <laughs> he does. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I don't think what they're saying is you will never see either character throw a punch. I think what they're saying is this isn't. I, I don't mean this in the way it's going to sound, but this isn't, this isn't superhero schlock. This isn't, hey... Uh, this isn't, like, this isn't fucking Avengers versus X-Men or Suicide Squad versus Justice League. Like this Which is, is what Pete was afraid of. Yeah, right. That's exactly what I didn't want. And, like, the fact that they're trying to tell a meaningful story with both of these sets of characters because there are narrative and thematic similarities that are interesting when you... Um, juxtapose them like great good like that that sounds like it's actually worth dusting off these characters for right uh i i mean i'm all in honestly i i I didn't do me too i'm 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 in i'm gonna buy the first couple issues and if i if i don't like it i'll jump off but i'm in for at least the first whatever four or whatever i don't know i didn't need to be sold on this but this panel for anyone who's doubting uh this is this is the place to be you have to read doomsday clock Looks like good shit, man. Sean, I'm proud of us. I remember when we first brought this up, and there were so many dissenters, and you and I were both like, I don't know, this sounds pretty cool. And we were both kind of like, we got we to persuade the others. And here we are. The pals are all on board, baby. There is one pal left who uh, probably will never be on board, but he doesn't live in America, so he doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Do they sell comic books in uh, where does he live again? Uh, Tasmania? Australia, Tasmania, New Zealand, New New Ireland, New Ireland. That's where he is. New Ireland. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> um, one thing that DC did say, uh, Dan Didio and Jim Lee said at their at their panel uh, was the following: Doomsday Clock is a sequel to Watchmen. Those characters meet DC, the DC universe. So, this is definitively a sequel. Uh, this is happening. All the things that you're questioning will be explained. 
uh, how Rorschach is alive. That we will get an answer to that. How do these universes collide? We will get an answer to that. Why did Dr. Manhattan interfere with the natural progression of the DC universe? We will get an answer to that. All of those things are forthcoming, and we do not have long to wait because November is when this book drops. And um, for all intents and purposes, November 22nd, 2017 is going to be one hell of a day. Are you doing the midnight release thing you're doing for it? I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. I'm excited. Dude, I, me too, honestly. I think I might just go. Like, I kind of want to just, kind of want to get on this hype train. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, any, any closing thoughts about uh, Doomsday Clock? Yes. Fire away. Um, I'm excited for Superman to, <laughs> to verbally school Dr. Manhattan with his, with his virtue and hope. And as we've said all weekend at the convention, to quote the movie Hercules, strength is not measured by one's physical strength, it is measured by their virtue. That reminded me of what I thought was the coolest thing that Jeff had had to say during the panel, uh, which was that Doomsday Clock is DC's answer to Watchmen. Oh, that's awesome. Shit. So Watchmen was a critique of mainstream comics, particularly DC characters, because the characters who are the Watchmen were stand-ins for DC characters that he, Alan Moore was not allowed to use. So, for example, Rorschach is a stand-in for the question. Um, most people would think Batman, but that's not the case. Um, Captain Adam and Dr. Manhattan. Exactly, yeah. Those were actually the two examples that he gave during the panel. Uh, and so now Jeff Johns... Probably the the most important writer to come out of DC ever. I mean, I know that's hyperbole, but... It's true. No, with his role in the company, he's the most powerful man in DC almost unilaterally because he has a massive hand in the publishing and also in the films and TV. And also, he's actually a writer. You know, like, he's not just a suit that has, like pulling those things you know like he's also the one shaping the lore in so many ways he's the serial king you guys may not know what that is look up jeff john serial king you'll find a wonderful thread on injure or something it's amazing sounds good um but the most prolific the mo the most important writer at dc comics has a, res a response to watchmen and we're gonna get to see what that is and i just think that's cool that gives me like the biggest fucking intellectual nerd boner to hear it framed that way you know it's like it's a response to like like it's like a fucking paper you know like it's like i have a response to Watchmen. jeff's like i see your deconstruction of this genre and i raise you this it's like yes like that sounds fucking so cool <laughs> yep um, that's the kind of high concept shit that really gets me going. Me man. too. Yeah, like that's that's really cool. You better be fucking careful. Alan Moore is a dark sorcerer. Actually, someone asked uh, if they tried to call Alan Moore to uh, see, you know, what he thought, and he didn't pick up the phone. Jeff John said, "I don't know that Alan Moore has a phone." Uh, I've. Res <laughs> 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 That's fucking good. Communicates through smoke signal. 
Uh, he's he, <laughs> he he just teleports like Rasputin. <laughs> he sends he sends ravens, like guys. He said he he act, actually said he tried a seance, but it didn't work. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> uh, and he's but he said that he's resigned himself to the understanding that Alan Moore will never see this. That's almost certain. Alan Moore is probably like cursorily aware of this, and he's like, "Oh fuck, fucking ball, try fuck this, dude." How fucking cool would it be if Alan Moore read it and liked it, though? No, I, that would never fucking happen in a million fucking years. Dave Gibbons, Dave Gibbons actually said he wouldn't read it. Well, he, yeah, but Dave Gibbons is not extremely, he's not curmudgeonly. No, no <laughs> but Dave Gibbons said he would not read it. Oh, uh, well, well, if he's not going to read it, then Alan Moore is definitely not going to read it. Just give it a shot, Dave. I'm doing it. <laughs> Dave's listening to podcasts at home, and he's like, oh, shit. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you know what? If Pete can put aside his rage, maybe I can, too. Al Moore's like, I don't listen to their fucking podcast. What the fuck's a podcast? <laughs> um, so I, I think that's I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, not on, I mean, not on the bad Alan Moore impressions, but just on the idea that... You want more Alan Moore impressions? <laughs> I hear Superman's not going to be a Nazi in this book. That was actually a joke that was made at the panel. Such a good dig. <laughs> uh, someone had asked Jeff if this was going to be some kind of alternate reality thing or how was he going to be altering Superman and these characters. And he said, well, Superman won't be a Nazi um, because they brought up Secret <laughs> Empire. Um, what a smart ass. I know. <laughs> Do you see this had a big salt shaker right next to them this weekend? They're like, let's pour this on Marvel. It's like, oh, Marvel, is that a gaping wound? <laughs> oh, here you go. <laughs> um, but again, I think we're we're good to end on that note. We've all got to uh, one last. We got to do one last day at New York Comic Con. So, um, you know, these boys need sleep and um, we're excited to get back at it. Next episode, we'll wrap wrap up on whatever else does come out of New York Comic Con, and we'll talk a little bit more about our experiences. So stay tuned for that stuff. Um, just to let you guys know where you can find the show. Let us know what you think about any of this news, anything that dropped uh, at New York Comic Con. Feel free to talk to us about that. Uh, we are on iTunes. You can reach out to us there. You can also leave us a rating while you're at it. Uh, and then whatever other podcast hosting platform you prefer, we are there as well. Uh, you can tweet us or Instagram us, if that's the proper verbiage, or Facebook us, as the old people like to say, at the Comics Pals. Um, let us know what you think about the cosplay stuff we've posted, about the news we've talked about, uh, why Doomsday Clock is so cool, or why you hate it, whatever. Uh, you can write to us, thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, we are on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to leave us a like, uh, a comment, nice or negative. We don't care. We'll read them all and we'll respond, maybe. Uh, and uh, definitely share with your friends. We appreciate all those shares and those subscribes, which are hugely important to what we do. And they show us that we are not speaking to just ourselves. So some plugs, Pete. Cool. Thanks again for joining us here on episode 50 of the Comics Pals. I don't know if we acknowledged that, but... We didn't. Landmark. Fuck yeah, guys. It's a landmark episode. I'm real proud. So thank you guys so much for being here on the ride. And, uh, you know, you can check out the Video Game video game Pals tomorrow, our sister show. Um, me, Sean, and Thompson are not on it because we are here. 
Um, but Andy held down the fort with our first ever guest on that show, a friend of mine, uh, Peggy, who's an esports reporter. Um, so go check that out. And uh, check out Pals Play every day, uh, Monday through Friday. On Tuesday, we're going to have the second episode of Until Dawn for our Halloween special this month. Uh, so please go check that out. We worked real hard on it. And uh, if you guys want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I may or may not have my first article up on CBR in a while up this week uh, about 15 uh, Foxy Marvel cosplays, basically. Go check it out. Give me some money. I'm fucking broke. I spent a lot. I bought a lot of comics. <laughs> All right, Phil. Well, uh, shut up for a second, Phil. Uh, I'm going to be at NZCC this weekend, uh, the New Zealand Comic Con. Come check that out. And uh, I've been missing for a while, apparently, so uh, come find where Kale is. And, of course, as always, you can follow me at Toto and Toe. That's a, 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 a. <laughs> uh, All right, thanks for interrupting me, Kale. Kill Ward at Toto and Toe, T O T O I N T O W. I have some interviews coming out of this convention that I'm very proud of. Um, Declan Shalvey. Um, that was a really solid interview, and I'm proud of that. Uh, Yannick Paquette was another one. Solid. So, whenever those come out, be on the lookout for that. Um, and uh, with regard to this weekend, uh, we seem like we have some very exciting guests that might be on the show down the line that we spoke to this weekend. Um, so look forward to, you know, some wonderful guests coming on to our show down the road. And you can follow me on social media at Cyborg Bebop. And, uh, I mean, you can tweet at me and chances are I'm not going to respond to you, but you're welcome to try. All right. That's very nice. Uh, Marco. Uh, you can follow me at woe is Marco uh, on Instagram and woe is Marco underscore on Twitter. That's it. And uh, as for me, you can find me, as always, on Twitter only, at Sean Soapbox. I'm open to talking about anything. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode of The Comics Pals. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care, guys. See you next week. I cast a spell on you. Eee. And now you're mine. Eee. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>